morning. Good to see you all here today. He is risen. Amen and amen. And he's even risen in both overflows. So thank you for those of you that are in the overflows this morning. We're really grateful that you're there. And uh, thank you to all of you that are joining us online. Really grateful uh, for you as well. Thank you for uh, making it. I'm, I'm going to ask you to just take a deep breath. Um, you got them here. Everybody's got a seat. We're okay. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 20, verse 1 to 18 this morning. John chapter 20, verse 1 to 18. Uh, as we talk about, believe it or not, the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, while you're turning there, I would like to draw you to the response card that you probably sat on. Uh, when you came in and sat down, uh, the part that I want you to see now is this QR code at the bottom. So we're doing a series beginning, beginning toward the end of August as school starts uh, called You've Got Questions or You Asked For It, and we want to generate questions from you. And so we're just asking you, if you have questions about life, God, the Bible, anything like that, any question you want to ask, just, just nail that QR code. Uh, write your questions in there and send them to us. We're going to pick like four or five of those questions and do a series this uh, as school starts. And so I hope that uh, you can take advantage of, of that. All right. Um, well, let's start with the problem. Of course, the problem is sin. That's the problem. Uh, in fact, that's why we feel so much gratitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ when we think about his resurrection is because we kind of intuitively know, but then the Bible says that we are dead in our sins. And that there's not one of us that's better than the other. So let me just level the playing field for all of us here today. There is no one in the room better than anybody. Uh, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody online better than anybody. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one in the world. If the Pope was here today, he has sinned. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, of course, the problem is sin. Sin is that thing that separates us from God. Um, I probably don't have to define it for you because you, you understand uh, when you have done something that's egregious or, or, or wrong, uh, but sin is just, it, it can be defined as, as missing the mark. And the mark, the focus is the holiness of God. God is so holy and Brian is so not, <laughs> if I'm just real with you. And so <clears throat> that's the problem. But here's, here's some good, good news. In John chapter 20, 1 to 18, uh, what we find is John, the, the, the writer, the disciple, he tells a story, tells us, what happened historically on the, on the day that Jesus was resurrected. Now, I'll just remind you, in case uh, you, you haven't had a chance to think a ton about it, uh, but on Friday of that week during Passover, Jesus was crucified just outside this, the first century Ju city walls in Jerusalem. He was crucified as a criminal for insurrection, for inciting a riot. Uh, he, he, he was unjustly accused. Uh, the Bible says he's the only person that has ever walked the planet that did not sin. Take that in for just a second. The only person on the planet who, who ever lived did not sin, and yet he was crucified as a criminal. It was, it was unjust. <clears throat> it was Friday, 
and uh, in the afternoon, he died, and they laid him in a tomb before sundown. Now, you have to think uh, differently. How many of you are Westerners by birth? Like, you grew up in the West, so we think sunup to sunup. In the Jewish culture, they think sundown to sundown is a day. And so Friday at sundown began Sabbath, which was the next day. So the first day he, he, he was laid in the tomb was Friday. Saturday, the Sabbath, it's a high Sabbath because it's a Passover. It's the high holidays for the, the Jewish people. He, he's in the tomb on Saturday. That tomb is a wealthy man's tomb. A guy named Joseph of Arimathea, according to the scripture, uh, asked for Jesus' body. He, he was a Pharisee who became a follower of Jesus, and, and he was laid in this tomb. It's a brand new tomb, never, uh, never used until that time, according to the, the scripture. That was the second day, Saturday. Now, <clears throat> what would be common would be for G the, the people closest to Jesus to uh, do what they call uh, sitting sheva. Sheva means seven. Seven days of going to the tomb, uh, perfuming the body, weeping outside, but they couldn't do it on the Sabbath, on the high Sabbath during Passover, because if you're a Jew, when you, when you come near a tomb, you've become unclean, and so you can't participate in the Passover, so they, they couldn't on, on the Sab that high Sabbath, but then on Sunday, uh, it says that they came early before the sun came up. They were anxious obviously, to get there and to be a part of the morning and to perfume the body and all that. And that's kind of where we pick up today. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read God's Word. Uh, we'll read John chapter 21 to 18. If you're our guest, we say this phrase, the very words, at the end of the main text reading, just to distinguish uh, God's Word from, from my own. So here's what the text says. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's John's claim to fame. He's faster than Peter. <laughs> that tells you about the humor of these guys, but anyway. And stooping to, to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who, who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the, the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary? She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You can be seated. It's a long time to stand up in church. So, she shows up, Mary Magdalene, and he's not there. Uh, this tomb is, is pretty big. Um, if, if you were to think about a, a kind of a normal first century Jewish tomb, you would have to kind of lean over and go in a low door uh, and crawl inside to see kind of the actuality of this tomb. But this one, because it's a wealthy tomb, close proximity to the place of the crucifixion, it's like location, 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 uh, this is a big one. It's a big tomb. And so Mary looks in, and she sees those angels sitting there. And she's like, you know, where is the Lord? And she's weeping. They ask her a question. It's a good question. Why are you weeping? And uh, she says, they've taken his body. I don't know where, he, where he's at. And she turns around. She goes outside, and she sees Jesus. But <clears throat> it's got to be shocking. Think about this. To have seen this man crucified hanging in the streets of Jerusalem and buried in this tomb, it's got to be shocking to see him. We, we blow past this. But when someone is dead, dead, and you see them alive three days later, it's shocking. She mistakes him. Her mind, she, she can't. She cannot get her mind around it. She mistakes him to be the gardener, the caretaker of that area. And he says to her, he says to her, her name, Mary. And instantly she rec recognizes him, Rabboni. He's alive. He's indeed risen. She, she runs back to tell the, the, the rest of the, the disciples. And Peter and John come and they believe and they go back and they tell the disciples, and according to the scripture, from the time Mary sees him and says, I have seen the Lord, until he sends, ascends to heaven, there were 500 men who were eyewitnesses to this account. 500. So if this was evidentiary in a court of law, what John is saying to you is 500 men would stand in line to say, I saw him alive after he was crucified. 500. I mean, the evidence is, is profound. I mean, that's just one piece of it. The manuscript evidence, the archaeological evidence, the prophetic evidence, all of it, it's profound. And I can, I can stand here today and tell you with all certainty 2,000 years later that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, that has certain implications. It has big implications. What are the implications of the resurrection of Jesus for the world and for you and me? It has ramifications for the whole world. 
and it has a personal ramification for you and me. First, when Jesus is raised from the dead, it seals the thought that he might be the sovereign king of the universe. If you had any doubt, if you ever meet a man that never sinned, that worked miracles, that said they're going to arrest me, and said before he died on a cross, after I'm hung so that everybody can see, on the third day, I'll get up again. If he tells you, I have the ability to lay down my life and take it up again, and then you actually see him do it, it has huge implications. And the first one is that he is, Jesus is the world's true sovereign, and his message is the most important message that has ever been. He's the son of God, ultimately demanding absolute allegiance for everyone and everything within creation. Sometimes we reduce that down to, uh, well, if he just, if, if you were the only person on the earth, uh, he loves you enough that he died on a cross to save you from your sins. And in actuality, he loves you that much. But what he did was so much more and bigger than just about you. It, it demands allegiance from the entire world, so much so that the writer of Philippians says in chapter 2, verse 11, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, the word every in Greek means every. <laughs> it's no mistaking. It's not a way around it. Every person. This is why Paul clarifies that message. Paul says that this message about Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is of first importance. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's writing to the church in Corinth a few decades after Jesus was raised from the dead. He said, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time of that writing, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul is saying, this sovereign king of the universe that was raised from the dead. His message is of primary importance. And if you don't get anything else, if you never hear another message from anybody anywhere, please understand Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried in a rich man's tomb and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and it changes everything. That is better than any tweet you'll ever read, better than any, any message you will ever hear. You can read breaking news, you can look at breaking news, you can watch the videos, all that. This is better. This is more important. This has greater implications. So Jesus, the first implication, Jesus is the world's 
true sovereign, then his message is of primary importance. But secondly, what it means is for the world and for people like you and, and me, that believing in Jesus is completely life-changing. It's completely life-changing. It's not just creedal, right? It's not just like we're, we're, we're saying with our, our lips, oh, Jesus was raised from the dead. It's not just creedal, but it's the kind of belief, we, we lose this in the English language. When you look at the Greek, it's a word pistuo, and it means to believe to the point of action. You watch where I walk, and you'll know what I believe. You listen to what I say, and you'll know what I believe. You see the work that comes out of my hands, and you will know what I believe. It's the same is true for every person. Someone in the United States today can say, I'm a Christian. I'm just going to watch your hands. I'm just going to watch your feet. I'm going to listen to what comes out of your mouth. Because when you believe, it radically changes you. And it's obvious. It's obvious. It comes out in your action. And this is the kind of life that God is calling us to in the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's trusting him completely. None of you saw the resurrection of Jesus. You weren't there. Mary was there. Joanna was there. The other Mary was there. Peter and John, they were there. The 500, they saw him, plus others, they saw him. They saw him ascended to heaven. We read about it, and we're convinced by the Holy Spirit through the word of God, but you, you weren't there. You believe. You pursue. It comes out in your words, in your mouth. Uh, through your mouth, through your, your thoughts, your actions, your hands, your, your feet. It's not creedal. It's life. A lot of people are looking for what we would call like the good life. Like maybe, maybe it'll be better if I do this or that or the other. And, and what we find is that um, no matter what the world offers us in the way of the good life, there is only one way, truth, and life. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. In other words, he is the good life. Everything else will let you down. Jesus is the one that was crucified by Roman executioners, laid in a tomb, and got up again. He will never, ever let you down. It's completely life-changing to believe in Jesus. We are raised to walk in new life when we believe in Jesus. He said we would be born all over again. It's, it's different. It's new. It's a new way of living. Third implication that we see from the resurrection that I think is important for us to understand is that his resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, his resurrection gives us a different perspective from that of everybody else in the culture. A different perspective from everyone in the culture who chooses not to believe, a different kind of perspective about things like power and security and love. In the culture, in that culture, in John's time, the, the Herods and the Caesars of the lands ruled with power and bullish fashion, and really nothing's changed. It doesn't matter what continent you're on or what century you're in, the leaders, the powers that be in the land often rule with power and bullish fashion. Uh, their greatest threat, if they cannot force following, is death. 
That's why Jesus died, because to Jesus, Caesar wasn't Lord. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he knew he was Lord. He knew he's the sovereign king of the universe. That's why the disciples died, because Caesar wasn't Lord. Jesus, the risen Nazarene, he was Lord, right? The same thing throughout the world today, leaders, uh, politicians, power mongers, all kinds of people, they try to rule with bullish, bullish fashion. If they cannot force a following in some places of the world, the, the, the problem now for you is death. But for the true believer, the one who believes in the resurrection of Jesus, there is no threat that renders us powerless. In fact, the best threat the world has to offer, death, is impotent against the resurrected Lord Jesus. We understand in understanding his resurrection that there is one king and one kingdom that is eternal and everlasting. Our highest allegiance then becomes not to the sovereign in the United States of America or any other country. Our highest allegiance becomes to the risen King Jesus. His sovereignty is sure. He is eternal. Everything else does not last. See, we believe in one kingdom, expanding, eternal, everlasting. There are many kinds of people in this kingdom. They speak many different kinds of languages. They've had many different experiences in life, born all over the world in many different generations. There are rich people and poor people. There are people that have sinned in ways you would say, if they sin like that, they should never go to heaven. You wouldn't let them go to heaven, but Jesus died for them, and they're in heaven. If they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart, that God raised them from the dead. He's not just for the good guys. He's for the bad guys. He's for everyone who would call on the name of the Lord. And so we have a different perspective than everyone in Christ, your very worst day, the worst day on this planet that you ever have, that is as close to hell as you will ever get. That's it. Because for you, a follower of Jesus, you are saved to an eternity that is full of inheritance, and you are saved right now to an abundant life in Christ Jesus. So back to those two questions. Do you remember what Jesus asked Mary? Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Let me ask you this. Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? There's many things in life worth weeping over. Calamity, chaos, circumstantial things that are worth weeping over. Um, family volatility, that's worth weeping over. Um, Broken marriage is worth weeping over. Mental and physical health challenges, we weep over those things. Financial challenges can bring us to our knees. It's, it's worth weeping over. But do you know what we see Jesus weep over in the scriptures? Sin and unbelief. Sin and unbelief. Why sin? Well, I started here and I said, of course, the problem is sin. This is the problem. Because sin separates us from God. Just my, my I, according to scripture, I'm born into sin. I'm not born on the right side of things. 
because I inherited from my father and his father before them and on and on a sin nature all the way back to Adam and Eve. I'm born into sin. The scripture teaches that until, until we are transferred from like this kingdom of darkness to this kingdom of light, uh, we are at war with God, enemies of God, recipients of his wrath. But Jesus dies on a cross, raised from the dead, and the writer in the New Testament says that in doing so, he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so now I'm not at war with God, not because I'm a good enough guy that I'm wearing a sport coat on Easter Sunday, not because of those things, but because Jesus rescued me from my sins. He delivered me, and he has the power to offer up a substitute for what I deserve. God's not mad at me. And in Christ, God's not mad at you. You will never face the wrath of God in Christ. Your worst day, that's as close as you'll ever get because you, even when you die, your next heartbeat, your next breath in Christ is to be in his presence, to be in eternity in heaven, which is not like some, you know, guy playing a harp where we just like, I love to sing, but I don't want to sing 24-7. It's not like that. There's going to be a lot of worship, but there's going to be purpose and meaning. There are, you, the things that you do now, you're the same person in that day. You're just perfected in Christ. You'll be doing the things that you're gifted in. You'll be saying the, the, with the same kind of language. You're the same person. It's just you're perfected in Christ. He's going to use you to build a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. That's what the scripture teaches. Uh, cartoons make heaven boring. It's not, according to the scripture. Why are you weeping, though? Are you weeping over sin and that it separates you? Are you weeping over unbelief? There's a lot of people in the world that hear the gospel message and choose not to believe. That makes Jesus weep. When he, when he rode into Jerusalem uh, at the triumphal entry, it says Jesus wept. Why? Because he looked around and he saw all these religious people who thought that they knew God and knew everything about God. And he wept because they didn't even know what they needed. They didn't know what would bring for peace. We were grown up in a land where we, in our underpinnings, in our history, we have a Judeo-Christian ethic. We've heard, we've heard, we've heard. I just, I just pray that we're not like Jerusalem, where when Jesus shows up, he weeps because we've heard, but we haven't believed. It's belief. John would write in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why are you weeping? Well, it could be a lot of reasons, but the most important thing to weep about in our life and the lives of our friends, family, and neighbors, sins, sin, and unbelief. Sin and unbelief, because they have dire, eternal consequences, according to the gospel. Second, whom are you seeking? That was the second question. Whom are you seeking? People look for hope in a lot of places, in a lot of people. 
I'm going to tell you something. Um, people, because they're sinners, some days they will let you down. Stuff, possessions, success, accolade, it will let you down. If your job is where all, all, all your hope is, how many of you have retired? You realize you walk out of there and they just keep going and you're at, you're at home? This church is 135 years old this year. I don't even know how many pastors they had. I can't remember pastor number four. They, one day they won't remember me. I'll retire. I keep going. It's not a... You can't place your hope in position. Where is your hope? Whom are you seeking? People look hope in a lot of places. There is only one true hope, and that hope is in the resurrected King Jesus. Why is there only one true hope? Well, the reality is that um, (laughs) we're going to go through bad things. Did you know that? You lived long enough to know you're going to go through you're going to go through bad things. Every day won't be a good day. Uh, one day you will die, according to the scripture and according to just anecdotal evidence. It's like a one for one. One day you will. On those really bad days where you think you can't survive, on, the, on that day where you don't. Survive? Where's your hope? I have no control after my last breath, after my last heartbeat. I have no control over what happens. I don't have it now. I just think I do. But that, that moment, that second after my heart stops beating, I stop breathing, I have no control. My hope is in the fact that Jesus, who was crucified... And laid in a tomb, then when he got up on the, on the first fruits, it was actually the festival of first fruits that day. You know what they were doing that day in, the, in Jerusalem? Celebrating life from the ground. What a perfect day for Jesus to come up from the ground. New life. It says that he's the firstborn of the resurrection. He's the first one of many, many, many to come. You know what my hope is? Is that after my heart stops beating, after my, uh, I, I stop breathing, that my soul, which the Bible teaches me is eternal, will be uh, led through the valley of the shadow of death by the good shepherd. His name is Jesus. He knows the way through the valley of the shadow of death because he went through it. He died, and he came out the other side and said, I'm alive, and he ascended to heaven. And he sent his Holy Spirit, and these guys that were just broken fishermen and accountants and regular Jewish dudes, they started preaching, and thousands of people came to Christ. And now millions of people have come to Christ. And the expansive nature of heaven is so big, we, we, we can't imagine it. Why? Not because of good preachers. Not because of great disciples of Jesus, but because Jesus rose from the dead. Because he's the sovereign king of the universe, and he's having his way in the sin and suffering. 
He's reaping a harvest in the sin and suffering, and you're a part of it. And that is a grace to you, O follower of Jesus. When you die, you will be in his presence. He has gone, according to John, to prepare a place for you. He's got a place with your name on it, a room he's made for you with all the other people that have gone before you. You'll be with him in perfect community. No sin there, and it's all outside the camp. Can you imagine living in a place where there's no impact of your own personal sin? No impact of the sins of others? Nothing is broken because sin is not there. That's where you're headed. That is your hope. When he resurrects, when Mary says, Rabboni, when it's acknowledged he resurrects, it changes everything. 100%. This is why Paul would say, uh, you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but not just that. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Whom are you seeking? Romans 10, 9 to 13, I've quoted part of it. I just, wanna, I just want you to hear the whole thing. Paul said this to the church at Rome. Must have been hard to be a Christian in Rome. Must have been difficult to be the church in Rome. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's, remember, in Rome, Caesar is Lord. This has very powerful ramifications in Rome. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what Paul told the people in Rome. Like, I know everybody else is telling you Caesar is Lord. We know the risen Nazarene can save them all. There's a great chasm between Jew and Greek, that little uh, phrase we just read. A Jewish person in that time frame committed to the Torah. They they say their their, their lineage is uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're different than everybody else. They are. But then these Greeks, Paul's talking about, you know, the Greeks, they're not, they don't really care about the Torah. They probably make fun of Jews. Uh, They are interested in shopping, sports, philosophy, education, entertainment. Sound familiar? Their heroes are athletes, actors, philosophers. I'd like to say social media influencers, but I just put it under the philosopher category. It sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Aren't you glad, as a person who grew up in 21st century Greek United States of America, that there's no difference between Jew and Greek, slave nor free, prisoner, not prisoner, murderer, thief, liar, adulterer? Aren't you glad there's no difference? It says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And saved to what? Eternal life, new identity. You're walking with Jesus now. 
And John goes on to say, this life that Jesus gives is an abundant life. Now, people get that confused. They think abundant life is riches and, and like going to Disney World twice a year or something. It's not that at all. You can have an abundant life and have no money. You realize that? You can have an abundant life and have no money. I've met many people like that. Abundant life, have no money. It's not that. What is abundant life? Here's abundant life. Abundant life is being forgiven of your sin and sure of where you're going. It's being free of sin. It's being uh, free of guilt and shame. It's being able to sleep at night. It's, it's understanding grace and knowing that even when you sin again, which you will, you can go to him and confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's abundant life. That's where it's at. And those are the implications of the resurrected Jesus. It happened. People saw it. They recorded it. And now we're talking about it 2,000 years later. What else happened in Jerusalem, you know, that we're talking about 2,000 years later? Everything stems from this. Everything changes. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just ask the Lord to speak to you as you pray for just a moment. Father, we are blessed people. to know you, to be able to hear the gospel, that message of first importance. Even if today was the first time we heard it, we're blessed to have heard it. Father, I pray for people that are stuck in sin and unbelief. Would you, by your spirit, draw them to salvation? Would you help them believe? Help them to confess that you, Jesus, are the risen Lord and to come to you for the forgiveness of sins. God, for my brothers and sisters who have been walking with Jesus for a time, maybe their hearts are numb. Maybe life has like beat them up a little bit. Jesus, would you infuse in them this morning by your spirit, through, through the truth of your word, the hope of the resurrection. Like light up their souls. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray, amen.